You are listening to Walking Home from the ICU. We will be exploring how to save and preserve lives in the ICU. All opinions and views shared are unaffiliated with any organization. Now let's step back even more and get a bigger picture. What role does PTSD and cognitive function play in the overall quality of life? Now we distantly know what exactly cognitive function means and what it is really like to be sedated. But how common is it to be damaged from this? 24 to 44% of ICU survivors have depression, anxiety, and or PTSD, usually a combination of all. Again, we now know that the more patients are sedated in depth and time, the worse their PTSD is. Post-ICU PTSD is likely more related to the alternative realities experienced under sedation. 33% of survivors have cognitive deficits. ARDS survivors have usually been under sedation for longer. Therefore, 70 to 100% of ARDS survivors have severe cognitive deficits at discharge. That only improves to about 46 to 80% at one year post-discharge and then 20% still five years after discharge. 71% of sepsis survivors have cognitive impairments one year after discharge. What shouldn't surprise us now is that the less a survivor can recall their ICU experience, the more likely they are to have severe cognitive impairment. So what does it look like to take PTSD and cognitive deficits from paper into a life. We don't hear much about this in part because it is difficult for people to share. I'm grateful to David Burroughs, an ICU survivor, for being brave enough to speak about his experience to someone besides his therapist, you. He was willing to face his pain and fears to share this with you. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us a little about yourself. Where are you from? What was your profession before your ICU stay? A little about your family. Okay, sure. Um, my name is David Burroughs. I currently live in, uh, outside of Syracuse, New York. Um, I'm originally from Wilmington, Delaware, and um, moved to Alabama when I was 18 uh, with, my, with my parents and um, attended Auburn University. Um, where I got uh, BS in soil and plant science and uh, MS in uh, soil chemistry. Uh, from there, I, see, I worked in a government agency for a short time. I worked um, in consulting um, and um, let's see, what else? Uh, that's about it until I got what I like to call a real job in a corporation. and. <laughs> Um, and um, entered entered what uh, what we'll call corporate America for for the majority of my career about um, uh, about thirty years in, in corporate. Um, my my primary responsibilities in, in corporate jobs were were um, environmental protection for the company um, mm-hmm. and health health and safety um, health and, health and safety management. Um, and basically, what that means is is um, Working with our manufacturing sites around the world to make sure they're they're in compliance with the the regulations and, and corporate standards. Um, so I traveled quite a bit. 
Um, and I guess that, that lasted, well, I, my, my most recent job was uh, about 25 years with um, uh, a major pharmaceutical company. And I can name it, I guess, uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb. And, um, um, and that, unfortunately, came to a, a screeching halt when I got sick. So, um, um, you know, I was, out, I was out for a year from work, and um, they filled my position. And then um, the day I came back, I got laid off. So, oh, wow. Uh, it was um there were there was uh a lot of uh, a lot of things happened to me at the same time as a result of this illness and next thing i know i i um my first memory after that all um was was a kind of a a blur of my wife walking by the bed and she says you know good morning good morning honey how are you it's a beautiful day in syracuse um and I, I didn't know where I was. <laughs> I, I guess I'd just woken up, and I honestly thought I was in Thailand. Um, and so that was one of one of my delusions was I was uh, I was all over the world in different places, a lot, a lot of which related to where I where I'd worked in the past. And um, um, that that's really there were there were quite a few things she said um at that point she said you know the boys are going to come see you today it's it's going to be a good day um and i <laughs> i thought i was talking I, I didn't know i wasn't nothing was coming out of my mouth uh-huh. um you know and and i think that's i'm i'm leading up to some some observations um uh you know i i immediately said thought i said um, you know, tell tell Chris not to worry. He can't afford to to come to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Um, but Alex can come see me because he he's okay. He's got he's got a, you know, a good job and he can afford to fly over here. I still thought I was in Thailand. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it was it, it, I, my point of, of of that short discussion. Um, the whole the, the whole aspect of these um, the, the delirium or delusions. Uh, um, they're not dreams. Uh, I can, you know, I I can relive them uh, on demand, and um, and actually start shaking when I talk about them because they were so real. I, I had dozens of those. I, I've actually recorded them. I've got a journal. Uh, that was one of my one of the treatment methods um, that was recommended was to to you know create a journal of what happened and and um, uh, the treatment you know that that's been ongoing, frankly, for two and a half years. And David, what's um, so um, what is so hard or upsetting about those delusions? Though you can now say I know that they weren't real, what makes you? What about them makes you shake? I think even even knowing that they're not they weren't real, um, I know how I felt at the time, and they were real. Um, one one of which was was terrifying to me. Um, I, during my career, I've, I, I worked for you know, 25 years in Puerto Rico and um, actually lived there for a while. Um, one, of the, one of the most, I guess, outstanding or um, terrifying dreams was I thought I had been kidnapped. And I was in a, in a high rise in, in Puerto Rico. And um, I thought that the, there was a nurse and a doctor in the room. I thought they were trying to kill me. I thought they were talking about, you know, how can we finish them off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was just so real. And I, 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 right now I, pardon me if I start to stutter because I get upset when I talk about it, but, 
Um, it turns out that, that both the nurse and the doctor were Hispanic. Oh. Um, which <laughs> kind of, you know, added to the, uh, the intrigue. The reality <laughs> of it. Uh, the, the reality. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> Dr. Garcia, he was, he was um, um, Argentinian, I believe. Um, and the nurse actually was from Puerto Rico. So it was, um, it was just a really, it was, it was so real, you know, like you know, the window was open, I could hear kids playing out on the street. Um, and, and I really thought they were, they were trying to do me in. And I, I, um, it, it just goes on like that. And, and many of which were related to, um, to my travels, um, uh, particularly hotels. I, I found myself thinking I was in, in, in hotels in India and um, um, Italy. And um, at one point I was in a, in a trailer, uh, a mobile home in Southern Louisiana. Um, I was in a, a jail in El Paso, Texas. I mean, you know, where did these things come from? I think the TV was on um, for, for a good part of the time. And, and uh, hence another, um, observation is I, I think the TV had a, a, a real important impact on what my mind was telling me was happening because wow. I didn't know you know obviously I didn't know and and I, I probably should have started with this I'm terrified of hospitals I always have been um, and I had never been in a hospital before mm-hmm. so I, I had no idea where where I was and um, um, yeah so it was just you know, one after another of these, in my mind, trying to make sense of what was really happening to me. Um, and, and I know in in the um, uh, in the mobile home, I remember in, in Louisiana, I was just so so miserable in in, in the bed, and I, I I just um I don't think I hurt. I think I was just so uncomfortable, I couldn't move. And I'm also claustrophobic, so this whole thing was just a disaster for me. Mm-hmm. But I remember uh, the, there was a, a group of people, they were getting ready to go out. I think they were going out hunting. And one person, one guy stayed behind, and he was. it looked like he was making coffee, um, you know, out, just outside of my room. And it was probably, when now I know it was a respiratory therapist who was getting ready to, to, to do his thing. Um, but I thought he was making coffee, and I remember saying to myself, um, or saying to him again, thinking I was talking, uh-huh. "Please let me, go. you know, just please let me go. I can't do this anymore. Let me go." <laughs> and I was, I was basically asking, you know, unplug this whole story. I don't like this anymore. And, um, obviously, he didn't. But so that's really. A lot of my problems are, are reliving those events, and, and it has gotten quite a bit better uh, through therapy. Um, yeah. How long have you been doing therapy for? Well, I started, um, let's see, about two years now. I, I started um, about four months out of IC, and um, I started with a, a, a neuropsychiatric um, doctor and I went I saw her for about three three months um, and I, I I honestly didn't um, I didn't think she understood me 
um, it, with all due respect, she was, she was mm-hmm. a great lady. And, but she, I was trying to explain, you know, that, that I had read about this thing called picks and, um, and I, I felt like that maybe we should look into that more as far as, you know, some sort of treatment, um, um, methodology and she just wouldn't pay attention to me. I don't, it was just, it was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. And then nothing would happen. Let's do, maybe you should do meditation or something. So it didn't, it, it wasn't doing anything for me. Um, and then I ran into a, um, um, a therapist. She's not a doctor, but she's a trauma informed therapist. And I've been seeing her for a year and a half now. Um, and, you know, we're doing um, EMDR, and uh, um, it, it's, it seems to be having some positive effect, but it's not, it's not overnight, I can promise that. Right. And I'm going to circle back a little bit, back to, um, you mentioned the discomfort that you were feeling. Um, yeah. you, you felt uncomfortable, like you knew that you couldn't move. Um, yes. Do you feel like part of that was just because you were stuck in the same position in bed that whole time and your body, you could still connect enough with your body to feel that? Um, you know, I, I think so. I, I think I just felt really heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know any other way to explain it. Just very heavy. And I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't pick up my legs or my feet or, or, or my hands or my arms, my head. I was, uh, well, I use the word cemented to the bed. Wow. Yeah. Um, so even if, I, you know, and I, I, that's probably the sedation. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't. I, I was trying. And I was wiggling a little bit, um, you know, to to try to move. But apparently I kept slipping down the bed. Um, and the, the nurses didn't like that. They were They were actually quite... I, I think quite mean to me. <laughs> I was awake. I was awake enough to know what was happening, and and they would yank me back up in the bed. And and I remember, I remember it hurt. It hurt my back. Um, when they would, you know, and then maybe they were just pulling me up in the bed. But it seemed to me they were, you know, two of them would come in and yank me back up in the bed and tell me to you know, stay still, don't move. And, um, and that bothered me. You know, I. I I thought, um, again, as an observation from the event, um, the, the, the bedside manner really is in, extremely important, I think, um, to improving the, uh, uh, improving the outcome, I guess, or, or improving the uh, experience. Um, as a nurse, I experienced how I personally found that, found that it was easy sometimes to become robotic when someone seemed to be asleep their eyes were closed and yes, people wiggle and they get, they slide to the bottom of the bed and you're constantly going up and pulling them up. Um, so I know exactly what you're talking about, but it's interesting to hear how uncomfortable you were. But from the outside, the nurses probably had no idea because you couldn't communicate or express yourself other than wiggling. That, that, that's all I could That's, and it, I have to say, it's it's, it's in some way, weird way a pleasure to, to explain this to a nurse because I haven't had that chance, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, at least directly. Um, I, I do remember specific instances, and I, I remember almost the faces of, of 
a couple of nurses because I think my eyes must have opened a little bit, or at least I was envisioning what they looked like. And and this one, she would come into the room and say, you know, what are you doing, little buddy? You can't do that. And she would, she was not not friendly to me. Mm-hmm. And yanked me back up to bed, and um, it, I I couldn't. I think the the probably one of the nightmares, and I, I'm actually talking through this in therapy at this point, is thinking I was talking, mm-hmm. but I was, you know, obviously nothing was coming out, and no one would listen to me. And that's um, part of your trauma. That's absolutely, yeah. One of the the, the most severe parts is that, um, you know, as as rightly or wrongly, as my therapist put, it's kind of like being buried alive. You know, I can't. Mm-hmm. You can't, uh, no one will listen. If you want to join in on the conversation, leave a voicemail at 801-784-0472 or reach out to me on Twitter.